to Afraid Not Podcast with Jill McCormick and Robin Wall. We believe that our stories matter and make us who we are. Every other week, we invite guests to join us and share their stories. Even though our stories have nots, we are not afraid. Our stories are afraid. They are not perfect. We believe the truth of our mess makes us stronger. We hope that God uses these stories to encourage and strengthen your faith as you trust in Him. Our theme verse is Colossians 1, 17, which says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, even our frayed knots. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. And this is Afraid Not Podcast. You're listening to episode number 87 with Jill Bowman. Jill is a friend of mine, our paths have crossed in education, and she is going to tell a story about when her husband had cancer in 2009 and the twists and turns that that took, and and it is quite a story. She has a lot of wisdom. I really think that some of the things she shared are nuggets of truth that might really be impacting your day, your week, your month, just really good wisdom. She shares about wrestling with the Lord through prayer, and there is such value in really taking whatever we're going through to the Lord and wrestling it with Him and not being afraid to talk to Him about it. We do add a little extra story. It sounds like we're ending, but there's an extra story after that, so keep listening, and um, you're going to love it. So listen in. Hi, Jill. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for coming and being a part of this and being brave to share your story with our listeners today. Listeners get two Jills today. That's right. We've got Jill McCormick and Jill Bowman, everyone. <laughs> Would you introduce yourself to our listeners today? My name is Jill Bowman. Um, been in Owasso for quite a while. Um, married to my best friend, uh, High school sweetheart. <laughs> I still like him as so well as sweet. love him. We have two kids. Um, my daughter is 18. My son is 16. And I'm in my second career, uh, currently a teacher. And I've been, I think I'm on my 11th year of that. So I feel a little bit like Forrest Gump. I've done a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do before teaching? I forgot. I was a quality manager for Cox Communications over training and quality and customer escalations and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then you went into teaching math. Yes. So I was a math lab tutor at Smith Elementary, kind of get my feet wet, see if I liked it. Um, Was told I was a natural, started working on my certification stuff. When I got that, I went to Ram Academy, taught there for four years, got to work with some amazing people, meet some amazing um, young adults. And that was more my niche. I was better with young adults than elementary, so <laughs> mad respect for you. Um, <laughs> well, I, I'm actually, I'm out of the elementary world now, but I actually really do miss it. I miss the the sweet little, the little kindergarten babies. But I'm better with smart Alex than with germs, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> little kids in my bubble. Um, and then I taught advanced math at the Owasso High School. Wanted to see if I could do that. Taught at TCC for a little bit. And now I'm currently teaching at um, Tulsa Technology Center. I teach computer science 
Java coding, Python coding, and then I teach advanced pre-calc. Wow. Okay, listeners, I don't know if you noticed, but you probably you felt your intelligence rise just from the past two sentences that she said. <laughs> I don't know about that. Wow. Uh, it's pretty impressive. I'm she impressed. There's a lot of stuff Thank I you. don't know. Me too. <laughs> That's probably why I'm good at teaching it because I'm not a master. You know, I, I can help you understand it because I barely understand it. No, <laughs> we're pretty good. <laughs> it's like if you're teaching a novel in English and you're like, I better read a couple chapters ahead to make sure I know what yeah, I'm talking absolutely. about. Absolutely. Okay. Um, as far as like my background and uh, life experiences outside of working, um, been a lifelong Christian pretty much. I gave my life to the Lord, as they say, when I was six, heavily influenced by my grandma and grandpa, which were my dad's parents. And then um, grew up as a teenager trying to find my way, kind of had a life experience again at 14 wanting to rededicate, as they say. But then I had my real turning point when I was 22, um, where I got serious, and God kind of woke me up. And then um, since that time, I've seen miracles. I've been walking amongst miracles. Um, have a lot of life experience with Jesus Christ in the world now. Mm -hmm. Um, and then my husband is a cancer survivor, so that's part of our story. That was in the year 2009. Um, and then beyond that, just, you know, day-to-day, day-to-day life. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about what happened when you were 22? Sure. Um, so like most females, I think, and maybe that's a bad assumption, but most females I had a little bit of um, mother-daughter drama growing mm -hmm. up. And um, when I was 22, God pretty much gripped me. And I know everybody has a different relationship with the father. Some people have like a comedian relationship, like he gives them jokes all day long. Other people might like... Um, you know, have more of a comfort or he holds you. My relationship is more like wrestling. Like he put me in a headlock and said, are you going to get serious? You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so at 22, um, I'd already been married for a while. We were trying to have our first baby and it was not working. And um, he revealed to me that I needed healing with my own mom before I could be a mom. Mm -hmm. And so that was a turning point. And the only way, and even now, there's other stories too, but the only way I could um, forgive and heal was through the power of Jesus Christ. Nothing to do with myself at all. Mm -hmm. And so that happened on my couch in my little house. And then the next morning, I'm driving to work, and God says, well, you need to go talk to your mom. And I'm like, what? I have a job today. I'm supposed to go to Oklahoma City today. And he's like, nope, you need to go talk to her right now. So I called my boss and said, I'm not coming in today. I got to take a personal day. And took the next exit on the highway, went and talked to my mom and at her workplace. And a lot of healing happened that day. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know, maybe six, eight months later, I was pregnant. Wow. Wow. So you saw that 
as a direct connection to God saying to you, this yeah. is happening and, and I want you to obey me. And then it was a true obedience and reward for that obedience, do you felt like? Well, again, I, I say wrestling because yeah, wrestling. the conversation was, okay, and I don't hear audible voices. I have thoughts mm-hmm. that I know are not my own. And they align with scripture and they align with prayer. And so I know who they're coming from. And the thought was, you need to go talk to your mom right now. Now my rebuttal was, no, I got to go to work. I'll talk to her later. And um, the headlock moment was, okay, what if you get in your car wreck right now and you're standing in front of me? Are you going to tell me you were too busy? Okay, next exit. So that that's <laughs> the one I talk about wrestling that... It, it is what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I do believe you have a choice to be obedient now while we have the freedom, or you will be forced to be obedient later, and you will not have that freedom. So mm-hmm. it's the blessing now, or it's up to you. What would you say to someone if they asked you, how, how can I forgive somebody that I just, and I don't really know the story sure. of what had happened in your past, but what if a listener's thinking, but you just don't know, I can't forgive. I can't do it. I'm not ever going to be able to forgive. What would you say to that person? Um, you're absolutely right. You can't. Mm-hmm. You have to lean. You have to go into the Father's presence and say, I am so grateful that you've forgiven me for things that I could never atone for. And now I'm trusting you to do that through me for somebody else. Mm. Because you can't. I couldn't. There's no way. No yeah. way. And then, you know, and not just with my mom, but there, there are people in your life that, um, well, they have the triggers, right? They know what buttons mm-hmm. to press. And um, all of that is not that person that is a spiritual attack. And once you realize that um, it's not from the person. It's, it's more of a spiritual battle. It becomes easier. And that, yeah. that battle's not yours anyway. You just get to be a part of it. Yeah. It's really wise. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are wise words. I think some of us, though, with that independent, strong-willed spirit, too, because I, I tend to have a wrestling-type experience mm-hmm. also. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. That's a good way to put it, though, wrestling. Our, mm-hmm. But the audacity we have to say I no. know. <laughs> but I'm just being real. I'll tell you, I don't normally say yes right away. <clears throat> Thank goodness he's patient. <laughs> yes. Amen. There have been a couple times when I've been like, nope, I'm not doing that. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, you are. Mm-hmm. And it just, yeah. I don't know why I think I have any agency in that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, as far as like other like miracle moments throughout my life, um, little things um, and specific prayers. Um, so just to backtrack for a second, my daughter, you know, I say I got pregnant six, eight months later. I found out later that I had a, uh, I don't even know what it's called, but like your uterus is bent over. And like, so like she, it's tilted? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the seed or sperm can never get to it because it just runs into a wall. Does that oh, make okay. sense? Mm-hmm. And then um, she, my daughter straightened me out and <laughs> I asked the doctor, I was like, does that mean like I'm going to have my 
belly bump on the back? Like, I'm so confused. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no, you moron. Like, as she grows, it'll grow where you're supposed to be. So my daughter fixed me, and then my son, when I was pregnant with him, I was studying how God delights in the details. And um, I was all I was reading, like, what to expect when you're expecting, like mm-hmm. everybody does. And then I was reading, <laughs> I read that too. Yeah. I was reading this other book about, um, more of a study with scripture, how God delights in the details. So um, my husband is uh, like a Hispanic Indian blend, and I am all white girl, but I have like brown features. And I just, I don't know, growing up, I always thought, man, if I ever have a son, wouldn't it be cool if he was blonde haired, blue eyed? And after I married my husband, I thought, no. While I was reading both of these things that sync up, and my son was in the spot where those kind of genetics were forming. So I just asked God, you know, sure enough, my son is blonde haired, blue eyed. Wow. Um, when he was born, Tom gave me like a look, like, whose kid is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely yours. Um, but yeah, the genetics and the probability are, are not very strong, but they're there. So he's my miracle. Later in life, I think he was like two, he was running around the coffee table and busted his um, little face on the edge of the table and one, his front tooth um, was dying. And uh, maybe he was older. It was like the real tooth. I don't know. Maybe he's four. And the tooth was dying, so I took him to the dentist, and the dentist said, oh, gosh, once the coloration's like this, it's beyond mm-hmm. where it can help. We'll deal with it when he gets older. It is what it is. And I just, I couldn't accept that, so um, <laughs> I just kept praying for this little kid mm-hmm. and just said, you know, God, you can heal anything you want. And if this, if you want him to have a tinted tooth, you know, by all means, but if, if you don't want him to and you want to show off, it'd be great if you just... <laughs> take that back, restore it back to normal. Well, he did, and then about six months later, we go back to the dentist for cleaning, you know, and I said, you notice anything about his, his mouth? The dentist is like, looks great. All his teeth look great. I'm like, yeah, but that one right there. He looks at the chart, looks at the tooth, looks back at me, and he goes, that's supposed to be a dead tooth. I'm like, but it's not. And he goes, well, how come? And I said, well, because I asked Christ to heal him if he wanted to, and the Dennis was just like, oh, you want to pray for me? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) You know, so little things like that. Um, My son, after eight weeks old, uh, got RSV. Mm -hmm. We had to give him breathing treatments every two hours. They told me he would be scarred and stunted and like scarred lungs and stunted growth and have asthma. And I mean, we did all the medical things you're supposed to do. And once he got old enough to get a scan... Um, and again, when I say these stories in like 30 seconds, it doesn't seem the same because when you're waking up every two hours, right. um, setting an alarm to it and your baby's wheezing and his coloration's not right, that's when it's real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then I can say right now, cause I've lived through it, you fast forward several years and, um, there's no trace of anything mm-hmm. bad with him at all. He's completely healthy. He's an amazing athlete. Um, so I'll walk in miracle. My husband in 2009 um, was diagnosed with cancer. It started as what we thought were sinus infections, and they wouldn't go away. This is Oklahoma. Everybody gets sinus infections. Wouldn't go away, wouldn't go away. Um, We had a wedding to go to coming up in California. 
So I was like, you need to go see an ENT and just get that straightened out because we got stuff to do. <laughs> and so we went to an ENT. The ENT said, um, oh, yeah, your stuff full of polyps. We just need to do a minor surgery and get those out of there. So we go in for this minor surgery. At the same time this is happening, my grandma is dealing with um, cervical cancer and ovarian cancer, and she's like on her deathbed. This is the grandma you were super close to? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I had been spending a lot of time with her, and the day of his surgery, I look at him, and he doesn't look right. Well, it's not polyps. That was the beginning of a journey. Um, He was completely full of lymphoma and all of his sinus cavities. I'm talking wow. all of them. And your face, I don't know if you ever really thought about it. I'm sure medical people think about it all the time. But your sinus cavities are deep, like on your face. They go back to here. So the year 2009 um, was about <laughs> three and a half years long in my mind. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. But I have tons and tons and tons and tons of stories and of course, you know, we're spoiled. We want instantaneous miracles. And God was very, very quiet when he was really sick. And the message that we both kept hearing very, very faintly was trust me. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was interesting. Um, but I think it had to be long or as long as we could tolerate so that... Um, I don't know. There's so many benefits of people around us and what we went through and day by day and all the experiences we have now. And you know what I mean? And that original day when they were going to do polyps, just we're just going to remove these polyps in and out and simple. Is that the day you found out? Yes. How did you feel when you first heard the news? So, um... I mean, everybody has their own kind of therapy. I journaled. Um, I wrote songs. I, I'm an amateur, like, no five chords guitar player, you know. Um, mm. But I was in a very, very crowded waiting room um, in Tulsa, the hospital over there on, like, 71st. The hospital that I may have been, and uh, it's extremely crowded. And the doctor comes to get to me and says, uh, we come here. And we go in the side room, and he says, Ms. Bowman, I don't know what's going on. It's one of three things, but it is not polyps. It could be some sort of polyp I've never seen before. It could be a really, really bad infection I haven't seen before. Or it could be a type of lymphoma. I'm not sure, but we're sending off biopsies right now. And as soon as I know, I'll call you back. And so... (laughs) How long was that wait? 30 minutes. Oh. And in the waiting room, um, like... Phones aren't how they are now. I don't know. But um, I know, I want to like give credit to people's names. Like I have her name in my head right now, but I don't know. I didn't ask her permission. But anyway, there's this lady and she used to always say, you don't go to the phone, you go to the throne. Mm -hmm. That's good. (laughs) And so for 30 minutes, I just prayed. And then a doctor came and got me and said, it's the third one. And I don't know what kind. And I'm sorry. And he started crying because Tom was like, oh, I don't know, 30, 31 mm-hmm. years old. And our kids were like four and two, five mm-hmm. and three. So, yeah. Do you know what stage he was at? 
so that's an interesting one. He had um, NKT, natural killer T cell. It does not have stages. Mm. It doesn't have remission. It doesn't have a lot of the things that normal cancer has. Mm. At that time, they thought <laughs> most of the information they had on it was from Asian countries. So I gave him a hard time about eating um, Chinese food, and then that turned into some big rumor that he got cancer from a Chinese <laughs> restaurant. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm just giving him a hard time. <laughs> um, no, but there wasn't a whole lot of information on it. So the Internet at that time had nothing, which was probably good. But um, he was bad. Uh, he had three doctors, a chemo doctor, the ENT, and a radiation doctor. And uh, two of the three doctors told me he's not going to make it. Oh, no. And uh, he did make it, obviously. <laughs> he's still around, for those of you listening. Like I just said bye to him a couple hours ago. He's good. Um, but later, you know, you go back for follow-ups and stuff, and... I had a doctor look me in the eye and go, I just, I just can't believe it. He's a walking miracle. Mm. So he wow. is. So I wake up next to a miracle every day, too. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm a, one of four in my family unit, right? And I feel like I'm just surrounded. All three of them are miracles. It's mm. <laughs> so beautiful. It's ugly and it's beautiful. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you got to live through it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure. Well, and I was going to say, let's talk about that yeah. year that felt like Three and a half. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because those nights when it's dark and you, and he's not speaking and he's silent mm-hmm. and you're pleading, they're okay. miserable. So I've told other people this too. When, when God is silent, I think it's because he's a gentleman and he's already told you what he was going to tell you. I don't think God doesn't answer us. I just don't think he always answers what we want to hear. And so trust me was like, okay, and then, you know, and it would just constantly trust me. So, um, and when I say constantly, it wasn't like I heard that every minute of every day. I would hear it maybe once a week or I'd hear somebody else say, trust, you got to trust or whatever. But trust was the, was the theme. So Mm -hmm. silent and Quiet, I think, is because he's a gentleman. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's very profound. (laughs) It is. And it makes sense that he said what he's going to say. Yep. You are. And we need to renew our minds in that. Well, that happens over and over. I mean, Abraham and Sarah, right? I mean, I'm sure they were like, okay. You know, and, and it was a lot longer than three and a half years. So yeah, yeah. that's true. But we read it verse by verse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I mean, and it says that time is not the same for him as it is for us. So for us, time is seems longer, but it could be time's just different mm-hmm. with God. So. And and his faithfulness isn't altered by our timetable. His faithfulness is perfect on his timetable. Like Joseph in the Bible, his dreams that God gave him all came true. Mm-hmm. But it took, it took a long a time. Long time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he had horrible twists and turns of being rejected and sold into slavery and being accused of rape and thrown into prison and forgotten by the guys he helped. I mean, 
he probably was really thinking, I really think God forgot about me (laughs) after all this, but God had not forgotten one second. And I think the maturity in that is that you don't keep praying the same prayer. You say, okay, comfort me. Or, okay, show me what to do today. Mm -hmm. Like, stop praying the same prayer that he's already answered. You You need to adapt to what he's doing. So I don't think Joseph was bitter or upset. I think he was in the moment, and God was in the moment right there with him. I mm-hmm. think. I don't mm-hmm. know, but mm-hmm. that's what my gut says. Yeah, we tend to want the answer right now, mm-hmm. and we want the miracle right now. Mm-hmm. And we're like, I will use it. I will tell people. I'll do whatever you tell me to if you make this miracle happen. But then there's the waiting, and we forget about that part. Mm. And mo- in most of our stories, there's waiting. Oh, for sure. Mm. When you look back at that long year now, what are some of those treasures that you look and you think, as hard as it was, I'm grateful for these things that I know now? So, I have a lot, but I feel like I'm supposed to read you this story. So, I, part of my personal therapy was, um, I was, I wasn't comfortable enough with Facebook back then, but I had, like, an email thing that I sent out and just said, if you want to forward this, people go for it. And so, that's how I documented, like, what was really happening. And then I documented, um, I was journaling through Psalms, so... I did the soap method, so mm-hmm. people have been Christian a long time. Soap, you just, you would read like a chapter, like I'd read one psalm or half a psalm, and then you pick a scripture, that's their S. O is observation, like who it was written to, context, whatever. A is application, if it can apply to you at all, and then prayer. And so I, I soaped through psalms, and then when it was over, or as it was over, I wrote random stories of just stuff that happened so I wouldn't forget. Um, So I'm going to read you a random story. Is that okay? Yes, please, please. Okay. This one's called um, Driveway Therapy. It says, I don't remember the day or what happened earlier that day, but I do remember Katie stopped by to check on me. And Katie is um, like a lifelong friend. Katie is a friend that you have seasons where you're close and then years where you're not. But anyway... Um, but you can pick back up. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So she stopped by to check on me. She may have brought me something. Most people only come by if they bring you something. But nonetheless, I'm sitting on the driveway when she comes. I think my kids are riding their bikes in the cul-de-sac. I can't see them in my head right now. But I can feel the concrete that's hard and cracked beneath where I sit. And I see Katie wearing nice work clothes and not caring as she sits down beside me. We do the news and weather for the day. How's Tom? How are you? Any news? Any new news? Then she says something like, I'm sorry that I don't know what to say to you. I've thought about trying to find someone who does. That captures my attention. And I say, what are you talking about? Um, She goes, you know, someone who has been through what you are experiencing now. Someone who has had a husband with cancer that can talk to you. And I think, you've got to be kidding me. I say, Katie, I don't want to talk to anyone else and especially don't want to talk to someone else who has been there because none of that helps my Tom right now. 
If someone lost their husband or if their husband is fine now, none of that has anything to do with my Tom. You say the right things and do the right things because you care about us. Nothing else matters. Oh, she says, okay. And then she smiles a, sm a sad smile. I smile back and we go back to talking about nonsense. And I just feel like um, somebody out there needs to hear that because it's not really about what expert um, background you have. Like everybody's going to be called to walk through something difficult. Mm -hmm. And just because I haven't had an ugly miscarriage doesn't mean I can't witness to someone who just did. Um, God's the same God no matter what, and his loving kindness is good. So you can still be a vessel even if you think you're broken or you don't have the expertise that you think somebody else might. And she wasn't, and it still isn't, and I'm not either, we're not perfect, but it's the little things. Somebody coming by all dressed up and sits down on the concrete, that's awesome, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so do what you can and God will bless it, I guess is the point I'm trying to say. Mm. Be a good friend. Yeah, and that's beautiful, and that's, that's a lot of why we started this podcast in the first place was because none of our stories are the same. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if there's similarities, or none of them are exactly the same, but we can all get something out of each other's stories. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. So how long was it really bad with the cancer? When did he kind of take a turn and start? So I'll just give you a real brief... Um, <laughs> Someday stick in your mind. May 6, 2009 was the day we found out what we were dealing with um, as far as its cancer. Mm -hmm. And then in the following week, we got more details. He um, started two rounds of chemotherapy, and we thought we were doing the right thing. We were told we were doing the right thing. After his second round, um, he woke me up in the middle of the night, and he was bleeding everywhere. Oh, no. And then... Knowing what we know now, the tumor was continuing to grow under chemo, and it had ate through the bone in the roof of his mouth. Oh. And so oh. he literally had a broken mouth and cancer tumors in his mouth in the middle of the night. And that was after two so rounds. Awful. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So um, you're, in, you're in a bad way, right? So I have two little kids, and I don't know what to do, but I remember... If anything bad happens, you take him to the ER of the hospital where his doctors are. That's what you do. So I put him in the car, and I left my two babies sleeping in the middle of the night and then called from the car for a family member to go be with them. Mm -hmm. Took him to the hospital. There's all kinds of little stories of going to the hospital. But um, that was a turning point, and so they changed his chemotherapy to a more old-school drug that had more side effects. And then they also did radiation at the same time. He had more radiation than um, most people ever would. Like I took him every day for five days in a row for, I want to say, 10 weeks, 11, mm -hmm. 12 weeks, something yeah. crazy. Mm -hmm. That is a lot. That is a lot. Um, wow. And the tumors started melting, for lack of a better term, um, and they would melt out his nose and down the back of his throat, uh -huh. and then doctors would yank him out. Mm -hmm. And we counted for a while, and then we stopped counting. 
He got so bad from having chemo and radiation at the same time that he could not eat, he could not talk, he could not smile. So um, I have beautiful stories where one day he told me painfully, like, please don't stop smiling at me. I need you to smile. I just can't smile back. And then the very next day I'm reading through Psalms and the scripture is, um, God will restore your smile. So there's just all kinds oh, of little beautiful. stories like that. Um, so you hold on to that. But anyway, um, he had to be fed calories through an IV, and I turned into the nurse that hooked him up to the IV every night so that he would get enough calories to live. He lost tons of weight. I can't remember. I documented it, but he got down to 130-something. Oh, wow. And he's normally 180-something. Oh, my goodness. Um. So then once he got better, or once the cancer was gone, that was probably in um, September, October-ish of 2009, but he was not his normal self until probably May, June of 2010, and he still had like cleanup surgeries and all kinds. We weren't out of the woods yet, but we were doing way, way better. Mm -hmm. So the threat on his life was over around September, October. And then his birthday's in November, so we had a huge celebration of life party and invited everybody that had helped us to that party and gave God all the glory. And um, <laughs> we had a, uh, I, I documented it and took pictures and stuff, but it's, I call it the day when the bar became a pulpit and we just had people go up to the bar and share. I love it. Uh, so, that was in 2009. So after that, like November-ish, we started getting back to normal. He started working more and whatever. But he wasn't his normal self till probably the following November, December, as far as he could go do a pull-up if he wanted to kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It took a while. So we had craziness, and then we had a new normal, and then we kind of got back to regular normal. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you really celebrated the fact whenever the day was that he could smile again. Oh, yeah. That's so significant. He has a beautiful smile. Mm -hmm. Do your kids remember any of it? So um, I really, really prayed that they would be protected and um, somewhat oblivious. We were very, very careful to never use the word cancer because they were so young. And I didn't want other people going, oh, you know. Right. So we did not do that, but um, they know now, mm -hmm. obviously. Mm -hmm. I don't know what else to say. I got tons of details, but yeah. I'll just tell you. One day, Kayla, <laughs> one day Kayla, she's like five, and Daddy's, you know, tired and in the other room, and I'm feeding them breakfast and whatever, and she's like, Mommy, you get sick, right? I said, yeah, I get sick. She goes, I get sick too. But then you know what, Mommy? I get better. And I was like, yeah? You know, after you get sick, you get better. She goes, Daddy's not getting better. Mm. And I was like, yeah, his sickness is a hard one. He's, he might be sick for a while. And she just kind of thinks about it, and then she looks at me, and she goes, okay, what's it called? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, what's Daddy's sickness called? And she's five. And I'm like, well... It's called non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And she's like, okay, can we go to the park? I'm like, yes, we can go to the park. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I didn't lie to them, 
but I yeah I've tried to shelter them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she's probably thinking I've had the flu, I've had a cold, so is it something like that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So she didn't understand. She wanted to know. Yeah, mm-hmm. but my son was like two. Yeah, he didn't. So you said that you had a story that you kind of wanted to tell us towards the end. Sure. Do you want to we share that with us? We would love to hear it. Sure. Let me pull it back up. Okay. Um, so here we go. This story, um, I call, I named it, whatever. I can smell it. And if the, anybody has been around cancer or been with people that undergo chemo or if you yourself have undergone chemo, you know there's a very distinct smell. So this was my poor attempt to capture that. So I go back to when Grandma Pansy was dying. She was laying in her bed, partially on her side, her head tilted towards the window of her small assisted living apartment. Hospice would be called in soon to stay with her until her time of passing would come. Right now there is no one here except for her and me. The kids are at school, Tom is at home resting, And I am sitting here beside Grandma's bed, watching her eyes as the color slowly fades. What do you say to someone you love so much and who can't talk back? Well, you pretend they can understand every single word. I would tell her how the day has been going and I'd make little jokes. And once those words run out, what do you do? You don't want to leave when you have more time to be there, but you don't want to continue mindless chatter. So I sang to her. I sang old hymns and parts of songs that I would want sang to me if our roles were reversed. I sang the background chorus to Psalms 23 by Kathy Tricoli. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, as you are here. I sang it over and over, and it was so quiet, too quiet. And even though I didn't sing very loud, I knew the nurses or anyone passing by could hear me but I didn't care anymore. I didn't know what else to do. Grandma's cancer had started in her cervix and because she waited so long to receive treatment, it had spread rapidly throughout the last few months. Now the disease had made itself comfortable in her lungs. And because I was so close to her, every now and then she would exhale and I could smell it. I could smell the horrific disease that was causing the beautiful blue to leave her eyes and reveal pastel shades of gray. I convinced myself she liked the songs and she liked me being close to her. So I stayed close, even though the smell polluted the air between us. How can I describe it? The smell is slight and floats on the air as if possibly nothing. And then there are waves of stronger air with more intensity of a strange decay. You know when you smell that smell that that trash needs to be taken out, but it smells ever so faint and you open the trash can and it's clean? Yet when you pull the trash bag out, you see at the bottom of the can, there's an old particle of food that's rotten completely beyond recognition. And that smell, once you see it, it becomes stronger and you immediately address it. It's similar to that, but the smell isn't rotten food. It's cells of flesh decaying one by one and rotting inside the body. There's no way to immediately address it. Instead, it hangs in the air, threatening you. And as I lean in to kiss my grandma's cheek to tell her I have to go pick up my kids from school, my mind chants over and over to itself, cancer is not contagious. It's several months later. I'm trying to rest in bed next to Tom. 
He's had two rounds of chemo. His nose is still clogged, making it hard for him to breathe. His mouth is starting to develop, starting to develop strange wounds on his hard palate and the soft backing of his throat. He's trying desperately to sleep, and as he exhales, I recognize something. That smell that I smelled from Grandma all those months ago, that same smell that's ever so faint and then becomes absolutely stronger with no reason. That smell from her small assisted living compartment, that smell is now filling up my bedroom. I sit up and look at Tom and I think, no, it can't be. I tell myself wondering if my mind is working with my nose to play tricks on me. Then I logically tell myself that I know Tom's condition is not the same as grandma's. His nose is clogged. The disease is in his face of all places. It's hidden beneath his handsome face. It's not in his lungs, and his soul is not slipping from me. And no, this is not the same. The sores in Tom's mouth had turned out to be early stages of more tumors. And after changing his chemo medicines and beginning aggressive radiation treatments, his body is finally expelling the despicable disease. It's another several months later now. And it's, and it's as if history is repeating itself in a mocking and provocative tone. I wake in the morning and roll over next to Tom, and the smell is there. I think to myself, how can this be? I look at him and then close my eyes and ask for my sense of smell to take over. As I breathe in and out, I notice something. The smell is similar to the times before, but not the exact same. The smell of cancer, decaying flesh, is meddled with another smell, a smell of antiseptic. I open my eyes and look closer at him. This time it's not coming from his mouth or his nose. It's coming from all his pores. He is sweating out chemo treatments. He had just recently finished his last day of chemo, um, his last round. The purpose was for the medicine to fully sweep his entire body, eliminating any chance of remaining cancer cells. As I prop myself up on my elbow and look at him, I am bewildered. Chemo kills cells, just like cancer kills cells. Chemo kills healthy along with the unhealthy or infected ones. This time, I tell myself, this is not a smell of defeat. This is a smell of victory. And I just praise God that he gave me discernment to have clarity in moments like that. And so that's, like we said earlier, your prayers change. Give me discernment. Show me the hope. Show me something to cling to. And then he does. So. Okay, well. Have you ever thought about writing a book? I know, that was beautiful. Um... Well, one, I don't know who to read it, and two, I would. I would. Two, it needs a lot of work because um, it's too real. It's too authentic. It still has real names, real places. I need help with that. Mm-hmm. And then um, I don't know. Everybody has a story. Everybody has real things. Mm-hmm. That's so, true. Yeah. You have a gift with expressing it. It was really beautiful. Yeah, you do. Well, thank you for sharing, Jill. I think that we should end that way because that was just amazing. That was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. I'm just grateful that we got to have you come and be on the show. God is good. That's right.
But I was reading to the kids, God rescues and saves his people. He does miracles in heaven and on earth. God rescued Daniel from the lions. And that was the message that the king sent out, you know. And so we said it over and over and over. God rescues and saves his people. He does miracles in heaven and on earth. God rescued Daniel from the lions. And so God rescued Tom from what his lions were. But nowhere does Daniel go looking for another lion's den to jump into. And I think that's really important. Like, I think it's important to acknowledge and praise and thank God for what he has done, but not to welcome back the horror. And so just like with my grandma and the smells and all of those things, it was different. It was not the same. And your mind will want to play tricks on you and just your emotional memory will want to take you back and go, oh girl, this is the same thing. Mm -hmm. Hope you're ready. Mm -hmm. Brace yourself. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. And so God will deliver you. It may not be the way you want him to, but he will deliver you and he'll be with you. But don't you dare go looking and jump into another den. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. I don't want to jump into any dens. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, we're so glad that you were here today to hear Jill's story. We're so happy that you are listening to Afraid Not. Something that might be a great thought to end with right now is just to remember when God is silent, it may be because He's already told us the answer. He is so good. He is so faithful and you can trust Him. Please remember to rate and review and subscribe to our show. Also, you can find us on social media, on Instagram. We're on Instagram and Facebook at um, Afraid Not Podcast. And we will be back again with you in two weeks. So see you next time.